Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of 72 Weeks. My name is Daniel and I'm the Head of Outreach and Communications at New College, which is part of the University of Oxford. And this podcast is called 72 Weeks as that's the average length of an undergraduate degree course here at Oxford. And in each episode, I will be talking to two people about how life can change and indeed has changed during that relatively short period of time. Each episode, the people interviewed will have a common thread, or indeed threads, that they share with the other person. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by current New College undergraduate, Patrick, and New College graduate and the warden of the college, Miles. And my two guests have several commonalities, both study and indeed studied history at New College. Both are involved with the English-speaking union, and both have served and are currently serving as JCR president of New College. So, very good morning to you both. Welcome, Patrick and Miles. Morning. Good morning. Okay, Patrick, we're going to start with you. Um, Firstly, I'm very aware that there are quite a few words and phrases used in Oxford University that can be quite confusing to people who don't know anything about the university, and JCR is one of those. So can you first of all just explain what a JCR is, And then secondly, what your role as JCR president involves. Yeah, so before I provide some clarity, I might add to the confusion of it. There are a couple of other CRs that are worth mentioning. There's also an MCR and an SCR. So they stand for junior common room, middle common room and senior common room. Um, And the junior common room is, is what I'm a part of. It's the undergraduate population of the college. The middle common room are the postgraduates and the SCR, the senior common room, the tutors and fellows. Um, so what the junior common room does is we represent the undergraduate interests as president of a committee of about 30 people. Um, we try and put on a vibrant social life for the college. Um, we try and get people together, form the community a bit stronger. But then our other roles are representing the interests of the students to college. I have regular meetings with Miles and other um, college members, my college staff, um, and then also meeting with other colleges and the wider universities to kind of try and reflect student interests um, around that. But really it's about making the college as much of a place that we want to live in as possible. And what about your role as the JCR president then? Does that mean you're the, the boss of the college? <laughs> so I, think I probably walk around thinking I'm quite important a lot of the time. And um, really it's about trying to in, engage with as many people in college as possible. I think that's the real value of my role is I get to go up to people and say hi and introduce myself without everyone thinking I'm a bit weird and actually go and find my own friends. So um, I really get to meet as, as, as many people and I'm there to oversee quite um, a large committee who each have their individual roles. We have people responsible for particular welfare and um, we have ENTS reps to put on social life. Um, we have a bunch of different officers, LGBTQ plus officer, a women's officer to represent different um, interests of the different segments of college. Um, so I'm there to oversee and then to also kind of direct certain levels of the things that we think are particularly important. And Miles, what is a warden um, and what does your role involve as the warden of New College? I guess um, collectively we people who head up colleges are called heads of house. Um, Warden stems from the Latin custos which means guardian or someone who looks after things. So I suppose I'm the person who looks after everything at the end of the day when everyone else is you know, had their go. Um, so I chair all the college committees, uh, but particularly governing body. 
um, which is the group of fellows that are responsible under law, under charity law, um, for the college. Um, I am responsible for liaising with the students. I'm also responsible for our relationships with the university, but I also um, obviously look after the fellows and the SCR and the graduates, the MCR, uh, and also our alumni, um, who are a very important part of our world. Because once you join New College, you never actually leave it. So for the rest of your life, you're a member of something called the New College Society. It's very active. Uh, and I have a role there, attending and meeting people, and ultimately trying to persuade people to leave us some money at the end of the day. And so there's a fundraising role as well. And what's your favourite bit about being the warden of the college? Actually, I, I enjoy all parts of it. Um, I think I enjoy the student part, particularly, actually, to be honest. Um, it keeps you young. Um, it's not always easy. Uh, we don't always agree on everything. But 90% of the time, we're, we're working in the same direction. It's, um, it's quite sad to us when, after three or four years, a generation leaves, because mm. you kind of made friends with students in that, in that period. Um, and you get a new, new crop coming in, you have to get to know them. Um, but we find this sort of cycle of um, turnover of, of, of students, one of the sort of rhythms of our life. Um, and we look at the freshers, you know, with great interest, you know, what are they going to be like um, this year? Um, so I enjoy, I enjoy that. Um, but I, I, I think all, all parts of it are really rewarding, if you put some effort into it. Paddy, you were successfully elected as JCR president last year. Why did you decide to apply to be the JCR president? Um, I think what I was looking for, and I was shopping around a bit last year, playing different sports, getting involved in different societies, um, was something that I could sort of meaningfully put time into. And I think with the JCR and with the college community, it's very clear what you're getting out from what you're putting in. You're very clearly able to impact a number of people's lives um, just within your college um, and, and make a meaningful, albeit in many ways small, difference to a decently large group of people. Um, I think also it's something you get a lot out of. I've always loved being part of quite small communities. I live in quite a small village um, next to the sea, um, called Bosom, very beautiful place if you'd like to go visit. Um, what is it called? It's called Bosom. Uh, yeah, that's worth clarifying for the microphone there. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a place where you kind of when you walk down the street, you know a few people. You see a neighbour's dog in Lil's stroke, and I've quite enjoyed seeing lots of the warden's dog recently. But um, I think that's the value of having a role in a college, is that you become a recognisable face, and you learn lots more faces, and you feel that you're a part of something you might not in other roles. Excellent reasons for wanting to be the JCR president. I would have given you my vote if I'd had one. <laughs> Um, but let's go before New College now then, um, and Miles, let's, let's find out a little bit more about you. So before you came to New College as a student, what was your childhood like? What was your school life like? My childhood was spent mainly in Bedford, though I was born and my first years were spent in the north where my family um, come from. So one half of me is still very much from the north. Um, my parents were not well off. Um, but uh, I was able to get a place at the local um, school, Bedford, which is a good school, which coincidentally had a relationship with New College, which goes back to, to, 15, uh, to 1552. Uh, at school, um, I became very passionate about history. I, I don't really know why, but I did. I think partly because I was well taught. And I think at that age, you respond to your teachers almost as much to your subject matter. So I had a brilliant history teacher, 
Uh, he arranged a trip um, of the lower sixth form to Oxford, and we came to New College. And I thought, well, this is the place I really want to apply to. And I applied, and I was lucky enough to, to get in. Um, I read history, and I wouldn't regret it for a moment. Um, I'm sure Paddy would agree with me. It's actually a very good training to be a generalist. Um, so I've always thought of it as a, as a great background for managers, because you learn how to integrate different specialisms. So that, that was the story, really. Um, I, I, I would have stayed on and done research, but my father really couldn't afford to support me anymore. So I went off into the wider world and became um, an ad man um, to my parents, well, my father's horror. Um, but um, to my great pleasure, and I spent the rest of my life before I came back doing that. We'll, we'll talk a bit more about that later on, but Patrick, what about you? What were you like in school? Um, I, I think I'm at Oxford. It'd be amiss of me to say I was a bit of a wild child and a rebel in any way. But um, I think at times delving on the, the teacher's pet side of things. Um, I, I think at school, one of the things I value looking back is I was able to kind of throw myself at a bit of a range of things. And like Miles was talking about history being a generalist thing, I think that's probably why I was pushed towards history because I used to love trying to get involved in bits of student drama at school. Um, I played lots of sport, I played lots of rugby. Um, and I sort of delved between lots of different things. So I think my childhood, I look back in quite a mismatch, but a really happy mismatch of being able to be a whole range of things. Um, I think when I've done come to New College, my experience has been reflected in that again, is that you can have a bit of an eclectic mix of different personalities and different hobbies and interests here um, that I really enjoy getting involved with again. So when did Oxford first come onto your radar then? See, it's, it's quite a tough one for me. I think probably, again, like Miles, it was something to do with the teacher. I think, importantly, history was also not really on my horizon for quite a while. My, my A-levels, I did maths, chemistry, economics and history. So um, it was no clear path for me, I think, as now there's still no real clear path for me after history. But um, it was a, a teacher who I really respected and got on very well with, I think kind of spoke to me as if I was more of an equal than a student and um, had some really interesting conversations, a lot more at the time about politics than history, but I think the sort of association with history um, was there. And so I think probably towards the end of my lower sixth year is when I started really thinking about Oxford, but obviously at that time it was COVID. So of course. Um, the kind of city walls were never really on my horizon, never visited before I arrived on, on day one of Freshers Week. So that was the first time you'd ever been to New College? Yeah. The day that you turned up? Yes, coming through that archway was a bit daunting. Wow. So, Miles, when you applied to Oxford, was the application process, presumably it was different to the application process now? How did the applications work then? Yeah, you had to do a written exam. um, uh, And I think, if my memory serves me correct, you had to demonstrate in history proficiency in French and Latin, or French French Mm -hmm. or German or Latin. Um, because of the prelims, which were compulsory in the first first term. So it was an exam, and then it was an interview. Um, and the interviews were pretty much like they are now. Mm. Um, they seemed very daunting at the time, um, but I'm still a believer in face-to-face interviews. I think it's a great shame mm. we've lost them, and I hope they come back. Um, but I remember um, in my interview, one of the history tutors was more or less hiding behind the curtains, 
invisible to me. So I, I, I thought there were two in the room, but there was a third in the room. <laughs> About three quarters of the way into view, he pulled the curtains back and asked the most difficult question I could ever imagine. And it was a kind of shock to the system. Now, that would not be allowed now. Um, <laughs> no. Well, but, <laughs> I had a similar <laughs> online experience of two tutors having their cameras off and then halfway through turning them on and appearing and then switching over. So I guess it's kind the of same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, 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 it was a little bit daunting, but I think at the end of the day, it, it gave you a feeling and, and it tested you a bit on your ability to answer questions on the, on, on the hoof. Um, but I do remember being together with the other candidates and some of them got through as well and we became mm. friends for the rest of our, our time here. And you've missed that experience, mm. unfortunately. So how was your application <laughs> process then, Paddy? Because you mentioned it was COVID times. So how did that work? It, it was all a bit strange. So um, I think you kind of have... For, for a history student anyway, a summer of trying to get in some reading so you can quote some inspirational books that you've read in your personal statement. And then there's a hat, which is kind of a similar, well, it's an, it's an hour-long, um, unseen history paper. And then you have um, interviews and you submit some written work, which you discuss in that. So the, the online aspect um, was a bit strange. I think probably less so for me. I've been able to come and live in New College and I've kind of got that experience afterwards. But for the sort of 75% of people that then don't get into Oxford, having that three days with a bunch of 17, 18 year olds um, in Oxford, having an amazing time, I think is something I missed out on and um, lots of people did. But the application, weirdly when it came to interview, I quite enjoyed the interview in some slightly masochistic way that you were a bit terrified. And with history, it's strange. Um, it's something I've never been very good at is responding to a source that just gets put on a screen. And I had some map of the world from the 14th century or something um, that I tried to have something interesting to say about. But I think the history tutors as well kind of helps you and guide you a bit. And it's there to test you, but not absolutely freak you out. So it was quite a daunting process. But I think one that I came out of slightly having taken something from and enjoyed it on the whole. Mm. So when you arrived in New College then for the first time, you'd never seen it before, what were your first impressions? Can you remember how you felt? So I think any experience like that is not anticlimactic, but you're just like, like, I'm here now, and uh, what's, where to, what to. I think what, what really helped is having a bunch of second year students show me to my room and kind of help not have too many thoughts initially. Because if you just kind of left with too much time to sit there and take it all in, it might be a bit overwhelming. It's kind of a place you've never experienced before buildings that look ridiculously grand and amazing, but ones that as an undergraduate freshman who'd never entered there was probably um, a little intimidating. But I think I was taken in immediately by the energy of the place. Uh, kind of before you're in that car, second years have come up to you saying, can I help you with the bags? Can I help you show you where to get your bulk card or how to find your key? Um, and people just seem to be bustling around and I don't know, some kind of purpose in what they're doing with their days. I quite like that's a place I've to learn to love in a way that people are energetic and moving around and there's times for peace and calm maybe in the chapel or something like that but there's lots of energy I think that was immediately apparent and I think that's something that we always say to school groups that Shelby and I feel very proud of is how well we look after our students because I started in this university 21 years ago now um, 
And it's vastly different in terms of the level of care and support that students get nowadays um, than it was back then. Um, Miles, how do you think the life of undergraduates has changed since you were an undergraduate at New College? Because academically, you know, we mentioned the interviews are more or less the same. Um, teaching won't be vastly different, I, I wouldn't imagine, but the actual life of an undergraduate has changed enormously. So what do you think are the biggest changes that undergraduates now experience? Actually, I'm not sure it's changed enormously, to be honest. Just going back to what Paddy was saying about the arrivals, that's changed slightly. So we were much more left to our own devices, and I was unlucky enough to be housed outside the college in more or less the room which Paddy is living in now, in New College Lane. So I wasn't quite inside the college, and it was a bit odd to be a fresher and a little bit outside, and I think it's a good thing we never do that anymore. Um, but we didn't have brothers, sisters, aunts, mothers, fathers, etc. Um, we're a bit more on our own, um, and I think it's a huge improvement now that when you arrive you feel as if you're joining a family. Uh, I remember being completely flummoxed by the washing machines because I'd never used one in my life before, and uh, that was something where I, I uh, caused mayhem by opening it in mid-cycle. I think the big difference is has really come in the last 20 years with the advent of social media mm. and a little bit before then with the advent of the mobile telephone. So when I was here, we were really isolated from our parents. There was, there was one red telephone box in Longwall Street and there was one pay button phone just outside the beer cellar. That was it. And we never used them. So I never spoke to my parents for the whole term. And we'd, I'd send a postcard maybe once every two weeks, get a postcard from them once every two weeks. But nowadays there's day, daily contact, you know, from a lot of parents to, to their kids. And then you have peer group contact as well. And then you also have tutors contacting you through social media. Whereas in my day, tutors used to write a letter which was put in the pitch. And you know, say, so please come for a drink at six o'clock tomorrow. And then you'd have to send a letter back saying, yes, thank you very much. Uh, or your essay hasn't arrived, please send it. It's all been done by letter. So that whole nature of communication has shifted. Um, that's the really big change, I think. We should probably explain there as well, Miles, you mentioned brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and things. They're not actual members of your family who happen to be here, are they? Uh, Paddy, how does that work? When you arrive, you're given a college family. So you have a mum and a dad, or a dad and a dad, or a dad and three mums. Um, it's a little bit unorthodox and there's no real set rules, but you basically have um, one parent who's married to a number of other people who then means you have siblings as well. Um, and they're there to ensure a smooth transition. They tend to be from your subjects. They give you kind of um, tips and tricks on how to get through Freshers Week and that kind of mad weekend afterwards where you might be a little bit hungover still and have an essay due on Monday morning. Um, and then also to take you for a drink, take you for dinner and kind of checking on you and make sure everything's going okay. Which I don't think you get in many other universities at all, do you? That, that sort of support system that's informal, really, isn't it? So, Paddy, in terms of being JCR president this year, what, what, do you, what are your priorities? What do you want to achieve? I think, as I said earlier, the kind of synthesis of it is we want to make it somewhere anybody would love to live in. I think it's slightly, if you approached what the JCR should be with a veil of ignorance, not knowing what subject you're going to be, where you're going to come from, you want to know that the place you're going into is going to be somewhere you're going to just love to live. Um, the academic side isn't really to do with us, that's sort of Miles and his team, but really we're about how 
much you're going to get out of the social scene and, and, and the vibrancy of what life in New College is like. And there are a number of things that fall within that, I think. One of the things we're particularly passionate about this year, and I think for the last few years at New College, um, is making sure sort of the outreach, and I know Dan, you work a lot with that, um, is, is really um, thriving. And that's partly um, things like this, things like advertising, the great things that New College has to offer, the great schemes we're running, um, but then it's also that when people arrive, we make sure we're an entirely inclusive community. Um, from a personal perspective, there's one thing I'm working on this year with a couple of other people in New College is that for the last few years, New College has pioneered um, or with a couple of other colleges who have now ceased doing it. Um, it's redistributing our leftover food um, to the sort of homeless and vulnerable communities within Oxford. Um, so if there's one thing I can look back on as having been done in my year is that we're hopefully going to get another 15 colleges on board with that. I'm going to work with, a, work with a local charity and have a regular distribution that we're not just sort of going around and handing out semi-warm food to the people that we can find, but we'll have regular distribution points and a kind of more can spring off that. I think if there's one thing I look back on, having been set up, that would be it. It's a great idea. So how does that work? So what, what we do is we immediately, our catering manager, Brian Cole, and his team, any leftover food, they package it in takeaway containers. Um, we take it and try and keep it hot. Um, and currently we just know roughly where people are likely to be and we walk the streets with it. Um, the next step is having five or six colleges per night take their leftover food to a set distribution point so that we know every night we're gonna have sufficient provision. We can't just sort of go one night, we might not. We have enough colleges that if some don't have any leftovers, enough will. Um, and then it's slightly a more humane way of doing things where people know where it's gonna be they can come to you, you're sort of not going and kind of tapping on their shoulder and saying, here's some at any hour that we think is convenient for us. And so I think it's partly a better provision, but it's partly just a more um, consistent, humane provision. So many, a very meaningful legacy to leave behind. Um, well done. Um, and Miles, I suppose in a similar vein, so the warden of New College only has an appointment on a fixed term. You've got another four years ahead of you. What are the main things that you want to achieve in that time? The uh, first thing uh, is actually very similar to, to Paddy's, which we're also going to be working together on, which is a relationship with a primary school in a really poor part of Oxford. And some of these primary school kids very rarely even come to the centre of Oxford. It's, it's alien territory for them. So it's a project to develop relationships, which you're working on as well, and to try to break down some of those I call them glass barriers, really, because it's like a parallel to glass, glass ceilings. More generally, we've got a major um, capital programme going on at the moment, which is to finish the new quadrangles, um, the Gradle quadrangles. And they are on target, on, on, on budget. They will open next year, next September. Um, that uh, new uh, building uh, also allows us to uh, do something very interesting, which is to house a uh, world first, which is the world's first research centre into charities. Um, and we've just succeeded in getting a £10 million um, foundation donation to kick that off. Um, charities, of which we are one, and there are a quarter of a million or more in the UK, uh, are really important. They underpin the third sector in this country. Um, the third sector being not the private and not the public sector. Um, but they're very understudied. So this research institute, which will be housed in the Gradle Quadrangles, will seek to address some of those issues. 
So certainly it's a major objective for me in the next four years to get that up and going. We're going to be recruiting the academic director uh, next year. Um, uh, that, um, Paddy's mentioned outreach and access. We've got really got more work to do on that. And uh, I, I, I want to get behind that. More generally, uh, I think it's a question of just ensuring that all the bits of the college continue to flourish. And just, you know, keeping good feelings going, really. Uh, that's ultimately what my job is. Um, so I always think in the morning, if I, if I wake up in a bad mood, then that will probably translate itself to the rest of the college. So I jolly well need to wake up in a good mood. So I need to keep in a good mood for the next four years. Good. Everyone will hold you to that now. That's right. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about New College just for, for one last question. And it's one that I ask all of our graduates who come back. What's your favourite thing about New College to each of you? My favourite thing, I think, is that you can have an amazing, vibrant social life. And it's sort of a brilliant place to live whilst being pretty excellent, even by Oxford standards. Um, it will push you in your limits in academics, in sports, in music, but it's not a pressurised, slightly depressing kind of pot of just excellence. It also is just a lovely, quite relaxed and chilled out and energetic place to live. I suppose my favourite thing is not dissimilar. Um, it combines tradition and modernity. And you can see that particularly in, in the research interests of some of our fellows. You can see it in the, in the sort of careers that, that students go on to. And I suppose my, my favourite place in the college is the cloisters. Because you can just go in there um, when you're all stressed and head up and just sit down and you somehow soak up the peace and it all seems okay again. Mm. I'm gonna, my favourite place in the college is the footsteps, uh, the, the steps of the warden's lodgings where a glee lies. <laughs> my way to my weekend yeah. I'm really missing my dog it's quite nice just to I'm a, a couple of minutes late just sit there and have a little um, sit we should probably mention that Ruglis is a dog and yes. that it's, <laughs> it's not somebody just lying at the foot of the stairs and I mentioned at the start that you're both involved with the English speaking union what's that? the English speaking union is an organisation which was set up really as a kind of debating club between countries of the Commonwealth, but has extended beyond the Commonwealth now to many other countries, um, and has extended its role um, from debating into a general interest in spoken communication. Um, so I, I was um, chair of it, but when I was unfortunately strict, stricken with COVID at the end of last year, I had to resign, but I'm, I may get back involved in it again at some stage. Um, it, it's about now promoting oracy, what we call oracy. Uh, and if you think of literacy and numeracy as fairly well understood concepts, oracy, the ability to speak, to convince people through argument, is not so well understood. And so increasingly the issue is moving to an organisation which seeks to create funding to put into schools uh, with higher deprivation um, indices um, to help kids um, have the confidence to, to speak. And that in turn helps them get into university. And Paddy, what was your experience of it? The ESU was slightly something that sparked my interest in debating because I was lucky enough to take part in an ESU competition a couple of times, the English speaking in MACE competition, um, which brings three people from each school together 
um, and you do a debate um, and you kind of get together from other schools um, and it's a pre-prepared debate competition and from there I think I ended up sort of setting up my own little thing which has very similar ambitions um, to the ESU but yeah it's something that I kind of think is hugely valuable as a skill for anyone to learn um, and it's something I really benefited from in my school years. And do you think it's benefited you in terms of being an undergraduate studying history where I suppose weekly in a tutorial you have to present an argument orally, don't you? I think in my time spent debating at school, that's probably the most valuable skills that I learned. Um, I think it's critical thinking like you've never had it before when someone's just given a speech um, and you're up having to do five minutes replying to them and they stand up and ask you a question with 10 people watching, it's a pretty nerve-wracking experience and you've got to think in your feet pretty quickly. And I think it's a huge confidence boost being able to speak in front of people like that. And focusing on history now, Miles, when you were an undergraduate, what periods of history were you most interested in when studying here? And have those opinions changed since you've been a graduate of history? Yeah, in in English history, um, I was a an unreconstructed um, Tudor historian, partly because it was so well taught by Penny Williams, who was the fellow of the college there. And I just loved the, the you know, raging academic debates then about the nature of the Tudor revolution in government. What was it? Did it exist? Um, and it brought all the um, academic debates between Whig and Tory historians in sharp uh, contrast um, together. Um, and that slightly extended into students Stuarts and actually Hanoverians because we also had a very good 18th century historian and the 18th century in England is a vast you know neglected desert um, so far as study is concerned um, and then in what we call the rest of the world um, I think I was most interested in 19th century um, history which for us was really the second half from the Crimean system uh, up until the um, well, actually, to the outbreak of the Second World War. So my special subject was in the, the very narrow causology of the Second World War from, from March to um, September 1939. Um, subsequently, um, I think, because I spent the vast part of my life after New College abroad and not in the college, I became more interested in the histories which weren't taught then and even aren't taught now, uh, particularly Chinese history, because I, I was in, in China for all 15 years. Uh, and there, particularly the history of northeastern China, where there's a, the area of China which butts onto the area of Japanese influence and Korea, um, Dongbei, and in particular um, how that all dissolved during the 1930s into the chaos of the, the Second World War in Asia. And then also American history in the 18th century. So I've sort of become a bit more global. And of course, the good thing in a way is the syllabus has also become more global. It was, it was very narrowly mm-hmm. Anglo-centric. Um, when I was here. So Paddy, what about you? See, I've never, in, in, until I got to New College, really been a historian by trade, but I think that site is reflecting my interest in history. Um, it's quite sort of broad. I, I've always said I'm interested in the history of ideas, and I'm still yet to quite work out what I mean by that. Um, so I don't really expect anyone listening to, but I did a really enjoyable paper in political philosophy um, at the end of last year. I think my history tutor, to keep reminding me, it wasn't a debating speech and I had to ground it in some kind of history at some point. Um, but yeah, so sort of 
how people engage with ideas and I think I found the history of religion particularly interesting, how religions are formed, how they get brought into sort of passionately believed in. Um, so not quite as specific as Miles, but yeah, a bit more sort of general. So what core papers do you study now in history? So I'm currently doing what we call EWF 14. Um, so somebody, you have to tick off three time periods. So I did last year an ancient paper, um, the sort of history of Europe and the world from 370 to 900. Um, and then I did a British paper from 1330 to 1550. So sort of wars with France, wars of the roses, um, the Black Death, which was particularly poignant at that time. Yeah. Um, and then this year, um, I'm doing two modern papers. So the pretty much global and British history of the um, 20th century. And Miles, one of the reasons why people might be reluctant to study an art subject or a humanity subject at university, and I speak with some sympathy here as a geographer, but not as a historian, is because they don't see a career path at the end of a degree. So firstly, what did you do immediately after graduating from New College? And then secondly, what skills did history equip you with in the world of work? Well, when I graduated, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but the person who ran the uh, careers advisory service then, as now actually, was a fellow of the college. Uh, and he rather despaired of me because he said, well, you should try accountancy. No, I'm not interested in that. You should try law. No, I'm not interested in that. But what are you interested in? And I said, well, I, I like people. You know. I said, well, there, there are only a couple of jobs where you can work with people. You could, you could be a teacher. Um, you could be a journalist. Um, or you could go into advertising. And I said, what's advertising? Um, and he described it briefly. I'm not sure I really understood it, but got me an interview um, with an advertising agency that was looking for late in the day in, at that time um, in the so-called milk round um, for undergraduates. And I got the job, and I just accepted it because I wanted to focus on finals and I didn't want to be bothered by anything else. So I started off in advertising, but as soon as I you know, had my first week, I realised that I did enjoy it because it was a business where the only asset um, is people. So it's a bit like running a football team, actually. Um, you win matches if you have good team players and you get good team players by attracting them to you. So you're successful or not by the quality of your team. Um, and that's what I did then for the rest of my, 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 my career. To the first part of your question, the view that education has to be vocational, I profoundly disagree with. So I think it's a you know, massive misapprehension. It actually doesn't matter what you study here. And I speak from a, from a person who at one stage employed you know, 25,000 people. Um, uh, we recruited from all sorts of academic disciplines. Actually, when you're an employer and you look at the CV of someone who's coming out of university, you're not in the slightest bit interested in the subject. You hardly pay any attention at all. You're interested in whether that person's mind is well trained. And that is what um, education is actually about. So um, history, classics, um, modern languages, geography, they all train the mind in a, in, a, in a very, very effective way. History in particular, I think, is good for managers um, because um, ultimately, through history, you understand a little bit how decisions were taken in the past. Now, they may be influenced by ideas, they may be influenced by economics, they may be influenced by all sorts of things, but at the end of the day, someone there is, is involved in a decision-making process 
and history casts a light on that. So I think it helps you make better decisions. I don't believe in people who say, you learn from history. We, you, know, you could see here we live in this world which is a complete mess. Mm -hmm. We don't. But a little bit in life, you can learn how to make better decisions through having a historical perspective. And have you had any thoughts about what you want to do, Paddy? I think um, if you asked about 10, questions, ten, 10 years ago, I'd have told you I wanted to be an actor or a chef. Uh, <laughs> a couple of years after that, then a rugby player. And then a couple of years after that, a, a human rights barrister. So I think it's been through a bit of an evolution and probably going full circle and the chef sounds quite nice at the moment. Yeah. But um, although my, Very my the current state of my dinners is probably not attesting much to that being self-catered for the first time at university is taking a bit of a toll. Um, I have always thought, I think, probably part of role in the JCR is, is like Mars, working with people is hugely important, but in a way that you can kind of see the impact you're having quite clearly. I think there's many ways lots of uh, Oxford graduates go and do fantastic things, but often things that are quite abstracted from the people that they're working with. You might go work in banking. Uh, I think consultancies may be a bit different, um, oftentimes law as well is that you're a bit detached from the people that you're working in some ways to benefit. So I think it's something that is quite personal, um, but again, a very limited idea of what that really means in practice. I think that's entirely normal for your stage of an undergraduate degree at the moment to not really know what you want to do. Um, but Miles, you mentioned there being responsible for 25,000 employees at one point. Do you, do you miss that? business world at all? I, I miss somehow the energy of travelling around, visiting our offices, visiting different countries. Uh, at one time I was travelling 80% of my time. I got to know the world. I mean, there, there are very few major countries I've not been to. And I got to know the, those countries quite well. Um, and you get to know them at a, a level also where you develop some interesting insights. Uh, into them. I've developed a lot of friends who I, I can't see now because I can't just hop on a plane to Bogota or to, to um, Hanoi and, and, and you know it's not part of my life anymore. So that side of it I, I, I do miss. Um, I, I miss also in a, in a slight way um, the relationships with clients. Um, there was always a joke in, in advertising that this would be a wonderful business if it wasn't for the clients and because they do cause you agony at times you wake up in the middle of night worrying that you're going to lose them and so on but at the end of the day there's some kind of interesting relationship um, painful a little bit but pleasurable often between you and your client um, which when it's removed is is, is a gap um, so those things I, I miss a bit you know people often say well isn't it um, very different being in a college um, and the answer is no, because uh, our governing body is very like a board in a, in a, in a large company. And people have a misperception of business. They think that you know, the CEO you know, creates a policy and then the board accepts it. That's just totally untrue. Uh, and the same in the college. Uh, you know, I'm a, a facilitator, I'm a catalyst. I'm not someone who fundamentally makes decisions. I can try and push people a bit in a direction or another. Um, but that, that's it. Um, and academics are a bit like advertising creative people. You know, they, they have pride of intellect and, and uh, they want a space to do their best work and so on. And so part of my job is just giving them that space. And of the advertising campaigns that you worked on throughout your career, 
which one are you most proud of? Well, that is a very difficult question. I think in the early days, <laughs> I was very proud of one for Cornetto, because we, we launched... Now, I mentioned this to my five-year-old daughter when we have a Cornetto, <laughs> and I sing her the song. <laughs> well, I was there in Venice, uh, and that, that, that commercial was being filmed as a wet-behind-the-ears trainee, having, having had a disastrous journey over carrying the Cornettos in an in a icebox with dry ice. Um, and there was an airstrike um, in, in Paris. So our, our, um, our plane was diverted to Paris, actually. We couldn't, there was a point where we couldn't carry on flying over French airspace. So I, I arrived in Paris airport on the, on the afternoon of a rugby international. It was also not helpful. <laughs> with a pile of melting Cornettos, and I had to find somewhere to store them in a hotel in the airport at Charles de Gaulle, and then work out how on earth I was able to get dry ice to carry them down there. Whose big plan was it just to bring the Cornettos for a major filming shoot in a little icebox? Um, well, it was, like it, was, no, it was normal. I mean, there were models as well, but it was, it was normal, and um, there, there wasn't the ability to do it. These were very new products, so they had to come from Gloucester. You couldn't... There was nowhere in Italy to supply them from. And you, you can't, there's a point where you can't fake, you know, ice cream shoots. You have to have someone licking something real. Anyway, that, so that, yeah, Cornetto. Uh, I think later on in life, um, probably the work we did on IBM um, um, at various stages, um, which helped rescue IBM from being a dinosaur um, into being something irrelevant in terms of owning e-commerce, um, at least for a while, not 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 so much now. Um, that, that was quite an quite a interesting global campaign because it allowed um, different countries to create their own versions of it. It was not global imposed, it was global plus local or global as we used to call it. And the final question, um, Miles, is, is again directed at you, but an average Oxford degree takes up to 72 weeks of your life, um, history included. If you could relive those 72 weeks again, what, if anything, would you do differently? And what one piece of advice would you offer to Paddy as he embarks on the rest of his um, Oxford undergraduate degree? Well, I'm not sure I would, I would offer Paddy any but Just keep, keep calm. And, um, in the, you know, I was JCL president, so I know what it's like. And he's unlucky because he's got a committee of 30. And I had a committee of 12. And he has three meetings a term, and I had one, I think. Um, so my advice would be to try to <laughs> minimise the amount of inputs and, and never on any account let it get you down. Um, we'll see I you think, in the cloisters a lot more yeah, now, Paddy, yeah. taking some deep um, breaths. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, don't, when they get snarky, just let it wash off your back. Um, but uh, I, I very much regret that I didn't go to more lectures. I, I, I think lectures were probably a bit more important in those days. Um, but in those days, we had people like uh, AJP Taylor, we had A.L. Rouse, we had Trevor Roper, all lecturing. I hardly went to any of them. I went, went to one. Uh, and that's just such a, a terrible shame. Um, so I, I was just focused on tutorials, and um, you know, I had this idea in my mind that it was best to get through life with economy of effort, not over-effort, <laughs> and I was having a fun time, so lectures <laughs> just dropped off my map. And I think there's the ability to wander off the set menu, as it were, and to go to other subjects' lectures, 
uh, and I never did that. And I, actually, I wish I could do it now. And, 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 and when I was a student, there was a list published in the lodge of this week's lectures. And now somehow, because it's lost in the internet, I never know what's happening when. But that would be my regret. Yeah. Well, thank you very much to Mars Young and Patrick Mayhew for joining me today. And we hope you enjoyed that podcast.